and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about sudden death syndrome in soybeans. If you've got any questions on that or if there's anything you would like to talk about that's happening in your farm right now, we'd love to visit with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Ag PhD mailbag today. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Before we do, I just want to encourage you, things are going to warm up. <laughs> this morning on our farm, it was really, really, really cold. And I'm going to say, I don't know, it was 10 or 11 o'clock and there's somebody asking me, yeah, are you guys planting? And I go, well, it's 33 degrees and about 20 mile an hour winds. And we could, we really could. The ground is fit and I don't mind planting when it's cold, but it, I mean, it just got really cold and it's supposed to get really cold the next couple of nights. We're not in any huge rush. We've already put a bunch of corn in the ground. We'll get there. Our first planting date for soybeans isn't for a week. So I mean, we're going to keep going, but don't get too worried. Things are going to warm up. And if you've got good seed treatment, you've got a high cold germination score on your seed. You're doing some of the extra things we talk about, like using some biologicals, little pop-up fertilizer, fungicide, insecticide, that kind of stuff. Hopefully things are going to turn out fine. They always have for us when we planted into cold soils before. Our soil temp, actually, I'm going to look that up for you. Uh, We've got at our farm. South Dakota State University has a weather station that's right at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. By the way, we'd love to have you join us for the Ag PhD Field Day. We will be, yes, in person. Uh, you can wear a mask if you want, but it's the end of July. I just got my second COVID shot here today, so I'm feeling pretty good. No mask for me anymore. But anyway, uh, the last Thursday in July, I'd love to have you come to the Ag PhD Field Day. Just go to agphd.com to learn more about that. Soil temp. Uh, 38 degrees this morning was our soil temp. Am I worried about my corn in the ground? Not a chance am I worried about that. We've done all the extra stuff. The seed's great. Everything's fine. But I will tell you right now that seed is most likely going to sit in the ground for at least four weeks. Four weeks from when we started planting last Monday. Four weeks. You think about that. There are a lot of people that say, oh, we got to have it up in a week or, you know, maybe 10 days. I was talking to one guy today who goes, well, you know, this is in southern Missouri. He said, corn came up in two weeks. And boy, that was a long time. <laughs> I go, two weeks a long time. We've had corn sit in the ground for over five weeks before. So anyway, uh, things are going to warm up. It'll get better. All right, let's get to the Egg PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, got uh, a couple of things here from Josh in eastern South Dakota. First of all, he said, I uh, got a couple of kids, two years old and nine months old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a lot of work. He said, one good thing is they briefly stop destroying the living room when they hear the Ag PhD music come on. Well, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that, Josh. You can put it on a loop. You know, you can just keep it going if that keeps them from destroying things. That's awesome. Well, I, I know kids he, love watching big equipment move through the field. I thought he was going to say it, uh, it It put my kids to sleep. We've had some, <laughs> we've had some farmers say, yep, it put my spouse to sleep. And... Uh, 
you know, so awesome. we're, we're willing to do that at Ag PhD. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we should do, Brad? We should put together uh, just a videotape for kids where it's just farm machinery because they would definitely watch that, no doubt about well, it. Well, actually, maybe that could be a second TV show because I think a lot of farmers would watch just all equipment all the time. Yeah, as all well. equipment, no talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just 24 7 all equipment. All okay. right. Uh, so, Josh, you got a couple of agronomic things. He said he's renting his ground and so he's trying to do crop removal rates. Wait, wait. He, he he's renting is farming, the ground that he's rented. farming. Okay. Yep. Yep, and he said he, he's just trying something new, and he sent a picture uh, looking uh, out the cab and looking out the back. He's doing some strip till out there. So he said, I'm doing strip till. I've got a shank, and I'm set up to put on liquid fertilizer and tried it out yesterday. Looks like I'm getting about six or seven inches deep, planning yep. on putting 10 or 12 gallons of uh, Pro Germinator and Sure mix, yep. maybe putting a little bit of access in there too. Sure. And doing three gallons in furrow with the planter with a micromix. Yep. Wait, wait, for, wait. Three gallons of what? Also doing Not, three gallons of ProGerm Sure with in the furrow. With some micromix. Okay, gotcha. With a micromix. Yep, yep, yep. Gotcha. And trying to get 200 bush quarts. So he's putting a low rate of fertilizer, low rate of low salt fertilizer in the furrow, but then putting more of it down six or seven inches deep. Gotcha. So he's shooting for 200 bushel corn on this rented ground. Yep. Just wondering what you think about that. I think as a general statement, that sounds good. I mean, without knowing what the fertility is in the field, you know, I can't, we can't really comment on which nutrients you're using or anything else, but your plan overall is good. I would say this though, if you think that every spring is going to be like this spring, it's not. A lot of years, the spring is wetter. Now it's probably not going to be colder, but it is wetter. And that is a concern when you're running a shank machine in the spring. So we usually figure it's one or two years out of 10 where we can run a shank machine in the spring. So I don't know what the odds would be for your farm, but I'm just saying usually it's fall when we're running a shank machine. In the spring, we shallow up and we'll run a coulter machine if we have to strip till in the spring. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, like in a year like this year, it's perfect. All right. Thanks for the for the question. Thanks for the feedback about your kids, too. That's fun. Uh, get this one from Craig. He's over in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, and the northern part might be important in this question. He said, a few questions on your three pre's, Prowl, Metribuzin, Valor, in some soybeans. I'm wondering, does soil temperature matter with any of these? No. Okay. Is there any long-term carryover problem I need to worry about? Prowl, Metribuzin, Valor? Um. Not with the Valor, not no. with the Metribuzin. Right. It would just be the Prowl. And by long term, if we're talking a year from now, I'm really not too worried. No, it's Almost labeled, everything. Prowl is labeled in corn, although we don't recommend it. So if there was just a little bit left over, it, it really shouldn't be a problem. Right. That'd be the only thing, and it would just be a little bit. Then he said, if I'm going to also spread granular fertilizer out there, can I spray this three premix, Prowl, Metribuse, and Valor, spread the fertilizer, and then till them all at one time, or do I need yes. to do that separate? Nope. That worked great. We do that. Okay. And then last thing uh, Craig just said, by the way, love your show. Just put XM in my tractors so I can listen to your show while I'm out in the field. Hey, thanks a awesome. lot. Really appreciate that, Craig, and, and thanks for your support. Have, uh, have a good time. Stay safe as you're getting out there getting all this work done. All right, listening to Ag PhD Radio today, we're going to talk about sudden death syndrome in soybeans and take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. 
If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about sudden death syndrome in soybeans. We're going to take your calls and agronomic questions uh, at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. So if you've got something going on in the farm, and I've got one queued up that as soon as we get back into the mailbag, uh, part of the subject line was I screwed up. And you know what? That happens all the time on the farm where, you know, I had the rate set at this and I got going in the field and pretty soon I'm out of product. What do I do now? Uh, if that's happened to you, you're not alone. It, it happens quite often or or the other way around. Man, I get to the end of the field and half my stuff's still left. I must have put on a half rate of something. So always something to think through on the farm. Well, one of the considerations this year, especially if you're getting in early, is sudden death syndrome. A lot of times we have more problems with that with early planted soybeans. Real happy to have Troy Bauer with us right now with BASF. Troy, thanks for joining us. Oh, great to be on today. How are you two doing today? You know what? We're doing well. We're doing well. And we got a little bit of corn in the ground. We don't have any soybeans out there, but there are a lot of farmers that have been giving us some feedback. Yeah, I put some beans in early this year. Anything that you'd be watching out for? And one of the things that we always tell the guys is, are you in an area where there's sudden death syndrome? Because it seems like it hits those early planted beans, at least to me anyway. It seems like those early planted beans are a little more in jeopardy. What What's your recommendation on that? Well, I think there's a couple of things that we need to think about in this situation. Number one, uh, if you're planting soybeans early, oftentimes you're going for top-end yield potential, uh, some added yield potential uh, with the early planted soybeans. 
And if you do have the STS uh, pathogen in the soil, uh, Fusarium virgiliforme, uh, certainly uh, you may be at more risk with your early planted beans. So you want to take steps to ensure as much yield potential is preserved for those uh, early planted soybeans. And uh, yeah, so there's there's a couple different ways to uh, think about that. Uh, number one, uh, if you've got uh, some SDS in your field from uh, previous cropping history, you probably want to plant a variety that is resistant to SDS. But uh, as you know, uh, SDS is kind of a two-phase uh, disease. And so you can have the below-ground symptoms, the root rot, which most uh, producers don't see unless they're out there uh, digging up the roots and looking at them. And then you have that above-ground phase, uh, which is everybody's very familiar with. You can see those uh, uh, kind of that leaf necrosis and things like that. If you plant resistant varieties, uh, you can help protect against the uh, above ground symptoms, but you really need something to help uh, with those uh, below ground symptoms as well. And there's some really good seed treatments out there to help us protect against that. Uh, Alivo being one of those products that does an uh, exceptional job in the marketplace. You know, when you think about that, this is a decision that you get to make at planting time. And it's kind of like with corn rootworms. In corn, it's you either deal with it now with traits or and treatments or or one or the other, or you don't really have a shot again. And you mentioned the the root rot phase. E- even if uh, you've you've done everything, you say, "Man, I don't really see anything out in the field." That disease is getting in there. That infection is coming early, and it's going to express itself later in the year. So you've got this one shot to make the right decision. Talk to us about Alivo just a little bit. When growers are, are making those choices with their seed dealer, obviously this is, is something that they're going to add on to the seed treatment above just your basic fungicide, insecticide, or, or inoculant type thing. How does Alivo play with these other components, and, and are there any other considerations a grower should have? Yeah, so Alivo has been tested with a number of the other products in the marketplace, so it works very well with uh, the uh, fungicides and insecticides that are uh, currently used by growers out there. Again, the growers need to have knowledge of their field. If they've had SDS in the past, that's a a disease that's going to be present out there every year. And so utilizing Alivo to help uh, reduce uh, the symptoms, the the, uh, root rot and the foliar phase will certainly uh, increase your yield potential. Uh, the, the other thing that factors in here is uh, soybean uh, cyst nematode can exacerbate that whole situation with SDS. And the unique thing about Olivo is we actually have activity on both uh, Fusarium virgiliforme that causes SDS as well as the soybean cyst nematode. So Olivo is really the standard in the marketplace out there for uh, both of those pests. Yeah, there are a lot of things to be concerned about in soybeans, and here you go. You got a shot to take care of them early by putting something on the seed, dealing with tolerant varieties. I know a lot of times when we're talking to plant pathologists, they'll talk about that too. Man, yep, we've got some hard chemistry things that we can do. We got some biological things that can help, but man, if you can pick a, a good tolerant variety, that's a must as well. I, re- I appreciate you pointing that out too, Troy. We're, we're talking with Troy Bauer with BASF. Uh, yeah, getting excited. Here we're getting really close to soybean planting corns rolling along for a lot of guys, and look forward to talking to you again down the road, Troy. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks so much. You have a great day. You as well. Got Zach Trower with us right now with Syngenta, and Zach Troy brought up a bunch of really good points here with SDS that you got to start things right, or you're in trouble. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was I was actually uh, being like the the typical farmer out there and been watching the the soybean board, right? And looking at twelve fifty dollars soybeans uh, for October November delivery, and we have to start these soybeans out right. We really get one good chance to get that soybean in the ground and really maximize its yield potential, and uh, we really need to invest in that crop um, in that one chance you have because we know if say you get uh, destroyed by a disease like SDS late in the season, we have to we have to get it up front, like Troy mentioned. So you know, you mentioned the the soybean price, and you're right. We've got this opportune year where I know sometimes I'll talk to farmers who will say, "Well, you know, I priced out Olivo, I priced out Saltro, and some of these different premium options to help me with nematodes and also help me with things like sudden death syndrome." But man, it's going to cost this much. Well. When you can do those types of things for roughly the cost of a bushel of beans, are you going to gain a bushel on those types of treatments? I'd say your odds have to be pretty high, don't they? Absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I think you said you said something I hear a lot, right? That cost. We have to change our mindset right now. And we have to look at it as an investment towards our yield potential, right? Because we don't, we don't make bushels come up. We protect the bushels that that plant has potential for. So, you know, that's the first mindset shift that we have to get. And, you know, we have a lot of data from the university and Syngenta in-house trials that shows a four bushel increase when using Saltro um, on your seed treatment. Four bushels at 1250, you know, I I might be a a farmer from Wisconsin, but, you know, you're looking at that $50 return pretty easily, right? And that's, that's something that, for a seed treatment that I can tell you doesn't cost $50, um, that's a good return on investment that we're looking at for, say, Saltro seed treatment. Well, you know, Brian and I talk about this a lot that, all right, if it only helped with sudden death syndrome and nothing else, then you just have to look mm-hmm. at, well, what's your potential for sudden death? But we know soybean cyst nematodes are an issue out there. And a lot of growers are seeing that our nematode-resistant traits, especially the PI8878 that's 95% of the market, it, it's just not working as well anymore. So at some point, SDS or not, we're going to be looking at these products like Olivo and Saltro that can give us some help on nematodes too. Absolutely. Nematodes, you know, I, I can't remember though. The, I was reading an article a long time ago, and this was way before $12, $13, $14 soybeans. Who knows where these soybeans could go? But they always talk about it as, you know, that multi-billion dollar pest. It's, it's that background pest that has been stealing bushels and we and now we're starting to see resistance as you mentioned right so we can see it definitely start stealing even more bushels so that's absolutely where we need to look at something for scn either looking at different traits or looking at these hard chemistries to give you a little bit more you know juice to protect that plant well, I certainly hope this year is not a big sudden death syndrome year, but we wanted to talk about it today as a lot of farmers are either beginning to start planting soybeans or or they're well into soybean planting. This is your one shot to put that extra protection out there. Been talking with Zach Trower with Syngenta. Thank you so much, Zach. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Talking sudden death syndrome today, also taking your agronomic questions. And I know we've got some fun ones coming up today that have already come in via email with some of the things going on in the field across the country. We'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and we'll be right back. 
Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and I know we're talking diseases in soybeans. You're probably wondering, are they going to have Damon Smith on today? Yes, we are. We've got Damon Smith with us right now with the University of Wisconsin. Damon, how you doing? Doing great. How about you? Well, we're doing pretty well, especially if this turns out to be a year that sudden death syndrome is not a problem. But just in case it is, we thought we should maybe get everybody prepared. Sounds good. So we, we've talked with Syngenta and BASF a little bit on the show already, and of course they want to talk about Olivo and they want to talk about Saltro. And uh, to their credit, both both the guys are like, yeah, you got to pick a good variety that has really good tolerance also. So let's say that we're doing those things. Are there some other things we should be thinking about too with SDS in terms of management? Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, we we spent some time working on uh, looking at rotations and tillage, and uh, actually just published some some nice work looking at uh, you know the the amount of corn residue and the rotation with corn. And there was some thought, you know, that these short soybean corn rotations might be making the situation a little worse when it comes to SDS. But turns out our you know our multi-state work points out that you know. In some years, it could be elevated, but it was an inconsistent response. And so, you know, the good news is, is you know, we don't, we don't need to turn a lot of dirt over. Uh, you know, having that residue there is not going to be a detriment, you know, and, and the short rotation is not exactly, you know, a terrible thing either. So it really comes down to, you know, what the weather, how the weather plays a role and, you know, again, really what the variety, you know, you choose looks like in terms of its resistance. One question we've gotten from growers really all over is cover crops. Do you see cover crops being part of a solution here or anything that could help us? You know, I, I think it could be, but it's just, there's just so many questions right now when it comes to a lot of the diseases. Uh, I think there just needs to be more work there, but you know, sort of when, when I was coming up through school, you know, talking about plant pathology, uh, a lot of these pathogens are sort of weak competitors and by having some diversity out there that also can help, you know, put some competitors back into the, into the space. And so I do see there, there's probably some utility there, but we just got to, you know, us as researchers and you all as farmers, we just got to get together and kind of look at these in a little more detail and get a handle on which ones are really going to fit, you know, each disease. It's probably going to be a sort of a, case-by-case situation, you know. Yep. Well, there's only a few hundred combinations of cover crop mixes going out there, Damon, so it shouldn't be too hard to figure out, right? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so let me ask you a couple other things. So foliar fungicide, we get questions from farmers all the time. What do you think about these foliars? There's a couple of them now that talk about uh, suppressing or reducing the symptomology or maybe delaying the symptomology of SDS. Have you seen any results in your trials? Yeah, you know, again, we run uh, multi-state uh, trials each year, and and you know, we've we've had some of these various foliar treatments in there, and while you might get some suppression and some visual quality cues um, that that marks some maybe improvement over the non-treated, you know, at the end of the day, it still comes back to choosing you know the most resistant variety you can get. And, uh, you know, probably some Olivo or Saltro, you know, those seem to be the things that still float to the top. And from an economic standpoint, uh, give you the best return on investment. So, you know, I think when it comes to SDS, you know, you can probably hold off on the foliar fungicide, but do do your diligence and homework on the variety choice and, you know, which seed treatment uh, works out for your, your situation. All right, last two things I had on my mind with SDS are I see more of it where there's compaction and where there's poor drainage out in a field. What have you seen with, with drainage? What have you seen with, with drainage and tiling? And also with compaction, is that just an absolute must? you got to fix that anyway, but when it comes to SDS, it's a real problem. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that compaction problem, I, you know, here in Wisconsin, you know, a lot of times we see uh, the headlands being the first place where SDS shows up, you know. So, you know, anywhere you can break up that, that compaction issue, that's going to help improve uh, the situation. And you're right, you know, a, a drainage uh, is going to be key. We know uh, through through some research when, you know, when we 
planted a really wet ground and it stays wet early on in the season, we get more of that root rot phase. Uh, and then we see the damage uh, that, that's caused during that root rot phase later in the season with these early senescing plants and uh, yield reductions due to SDS. Talking with Damon Smith here with the University of Wisconsin. And, and Damon, where do we find, you mentioned there's a, a study you guys just recently published about the effects of rotation and tillage and so forth on sudden death syndrome. Yeah, we just published that in the Journal of Plant Disease, actually. And so uh, I think Darren Mueller, he, his his group and Marty Chilver's group at Michigan State led that effort. And I believe they're working on a, a, a fact sheet along those lines that will probably be out on the Crop Protection Network. Very good. Uh, Damon Smith with the University of Wisconsin, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck you're heading into the spring. All right. Thank you, guys. Let's head over to central Minnesota. We've got Jeremy on with us with some drainage questions of all things. Jeremy, we were talking sudden death syndrome. I know drainage certainly helps with that, but uh, thanks for joining us on the show. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. So you perked Brian's ears up as soon as you start talking about tiling. Uh, talk to us about your situation, what your question is. Okay. Well, I got a couple of questions. The first one is a couple of years ago, put some tile in a uh, field. Um, and we just, uh, it's a half mile long, and there's probably only about four to five feet of fall or rise, whatever you want to call it, in that half mile, so it's pretty flat. Um, and it was kind of a last-minute deal when we had to tile a contractor out, and we just did a forced outlet, basically, you know, just start on top of the ground and yep. dug the plow in, and then uh, got it to about three feet deep at the where we wanted to be, and then tiled the field. Um, I was always planning on putting a pump station in there, but I haven't got to it yet. Um and like I said, that was a couple of years ago. And I'm just curious, we did, when we started out with the mains, we did, probably did like 100 feet of non-perforated just because I know I won't drain out there and I won't be able to farm it yet. And, well, since it's probably been at least that, and then uh, so I basically got some of the lines and some of the laterals. Um, we just went perforated, obviously, right away off them. And I haven't been able to farm that yet, but I'm just curious... Since it's been a forced outlet and that water ain't draining down there anyways, should I still be worried about, uh, like, the grass roots and reed canary and stuff, whatever I got down there, getting into them tile lines or not? Because basically it's <laughs> the water table is probably still only a foot down or so there. Well, okay, anytime you've got perforated tile, and you already said some of it's non-perf, so that obviously we're not worried about. But it's the perforated yeah. tile. If the water table does get below that level and there are perennial roots getting down there, then yes, you would have to be concerned about it. Uh, we've tiled right in pasture just to see kind of as an experiment, how long is it going to take before it completely plugs up? It's going to take a long time, but you are going to see a bunch of roots in there soon. The one good thing I think you have going for you is you are in Minnesota and actually I would call it Northern Minnesota where, where you're at. Uh, to the point where your ground is frozen for a bunch of the year. The plants really aren't growing, so those roots aren't getting bigger. Some of them might die off, fall back. But, you know, what we're always hoping for is is that water flow can flush through there and push things away. And when you, number one, don't have a lot of slope, and number two, you have this forced outlet, which we have also experimented with, and I'm sure you didn't want to do that, okay? I, I also didn't want to do that. Tried it, hated it, had to switch. So 
I'm just saying you don't have a lot of push there. You don't have a lot of water flow going through. And we are worried about these perforated lines in an area where you have some non-perf too. Yeah, I, I'd be slightly concerned, but you know, it, it is what it is at this point. So you're not farming the ground anyway, so I, I wouldn't get all that worried about it. But yeah, as soon as you can put in a pump station, a lift station, then I, I mean, that's, that's where we've had the success. So I would just say, looking back on all the tiling work we've done over the years, and it's a lot of it now, and we've consulted with people all over the place, even in multiple countries and everything, I want to get as much slope as I can out of my main line. Even if I have to create slope and pump it out, I'm willing to do that because we just have had such better success that way. So anyway, I apologize to you, Jeremy. We are up against a break, but hang on with us. If you got more questions, we can certainly talk that through. We got time, uh, but just stay tuned. We'll be right back. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed to soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio talking today about sudden death syndrome in soybeans, but also answering your calls and questions. Right before the break, we were talking to Jeremy from Minnesota about tiling and forced outlets and and being worried about uh, in an area where there is still probably a pretty high water table about some of these perennial roots getting down into the tile lines. Uh, Jeremy, what else can we answer for you today about tile? Well, the second kind of part ties in with that. Over the weekend, the neighbor come over and asked if I wanted to buy the piece of ground alongside of the, that same ground with the forced outlet. Okay. Um, and that's kind of the same situation. But if I was to do that, I would just put a pump station in right away and yep. then pump it out on top of the ground and be able to farm it. Okay. Um, the only issue there is basically I pump it out on top of the ground and it goes into a wetland or a swamp and it has to drain away that way. Yeah. Um, would you guys... I mean, obviously it's better than nothing, but I mean, would you <laughs> yep. think? Okay. Is it, Let I mean, me staying far enough away from the wetland and tile it and then pumping it on top of the ground. I mean, is the guy gaining anything or? Well, you might. I mean, it just depends on what there is for slope and everything else. Let me ask you this question. How far away from the nearest uh, little creek, river, stream, whatever, to get rid of the water? How far away are you? Um pretty far because everything to the everything slopes to the west and everything to the west is swamps and wetlands and sooner or later it goes away and then it'll, somewhere in that swamp or wetland there'll be a ditch or something that's draining away it's just i mean it's well options are limited and yeah, yeah. Dur- dur- during the break i looked at your general area there are some creeks that are i mean from your town anyway that aren't that far away i was just wondering is it three miles is it five miles how far away to a creek do you really think you are um any decent sized one by the time you go you know the water would have to go through the swamp and yep. go its yep. uh, on its own way it'd probably be a few miles for sure yeah probably three five three to five miles yep. goes. I mean, yep. sooner or later it'll go away but yeah yep Yep, I know. And, you know, here's the thing, Jeremy. So our dad was originally from north central Iowa. And back in the early 1900s, a bunch of those farmers all got together. They formed drainage districts and they dug in by hand all these what they called county main tile lines. Now, a lot of those have been replaced today with with bigger, better, all that kind of thing. But the point is, a lot of those people work together. And so ultimately, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. It would be great if there was something right next to you. But you've got a couple choices as I see it. One, you can do what you suggested at first and just pump it into the wetland, hope for the best, right? Or, (laughs) and I realize this could take years, but you talk to the neighbors in between and say, hey, could we possibly work together on getting tile lines through? And when your question came in and and, uh, uh, Janelle uh, typed your stuff on the screen for us here and we saw you were calling in, it just reminded me, uh, I got a letter last week from a natural gas company. There's a natural gas line that's that they want to put through our area, and we own some ground, and so I'm guessing that they want to put 
you know, get uh, an easement so they can put this underneath some of our ground. So what companies like that do is they hire other companies to send somebody in. And you know who they send in? It's always the 65-year-old guy who's the nicest person you've ever met. And it's somebody that, I mean, he's never going to call you. Uh, There's no text or email or any of this stuff. It's always in person. And so I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, if you want to take this next step, um, it and let's say you did want to try to work with some neighbors to get this whole project going. Um, it 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 just it takes time and it takes meeting with people in person. So and I just thought I'd bring that up really quite frankly for all of our listeners because I and I'm I'm anxious to see the person that they send in. I'll I'll guarantee you it's going to be some person with a lot of gray hair and you know somebody that looks like Santa Claus and you just think oh man this guy's great and yeah they're not going to hurt me or anything and I'm not saying anything bad about the natural gas company they're what they're doing is fine and I don't have any issue with that all I'm saying is it's all about interpersonal relationships and they just want to send somebody in who's not going to immediately make you mad and when you look at social media today this is part of the reason people get so nasty on it because they don't have to show their face they're not in person or you know sitting down with with anybody so if if there's ever any dealings with the neighbors i just tell you hey do it in person and just always look at their best interests first but yeah I, i mean i i know your area and there are a lot of challenges with drainage there and it's in part because they don't have the drainage district set up like a lot of the people did in southern minnesota or in iowa and some of these other areas yep so anyway, yep. I feel and for I, you. I, I envy them guys because I swear the county they cater to the farmers to help them get rid of water. And yep. Our county's just like, well, you know, there just ain't no slope; it's just flat and it's a swamp, so it just don't go anywhere. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it always can go somewhere. Exactly. Somewhere. People always tell that to me, and I'm like, have you been to Iowa before? In north central Iowa, it's flat as a pancake. I, I mean, they, they <laughs> yeah, and and the ground's super heavy, so I, I mean, right. it can or be like done. Red River Valley. I mean, right. they, they even just, you know, just the slightest ditch across the top of the ground just to get rid of it. Yep. And, I mean, it makes a world of difference. Right. So, yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, anyway. Like I said, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, if I, if I do pick up the piece of ground, I want to be able to know I can farm it or at least tile it. And I, obviously, it would help, but yep. I just didn't know what I should do there. But Yeah, I know. And hey, I was going to ask. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to, I was going to, I was going to throw out one thing that my dad had suggested years ago. He's like, well, why don't you just dig a great big hole and then irrigate out of that? And I'm like, well, dad, the water table's high anyway. So I'm going to dig down four feet and then I'm going to hit water. So what good did that do me? I can't store up a whole bunch more water. And he's like, oh yeah, I suppose. I didn't think about that. (laughs) So I don't think that's going to get you ahead. Right. Yeah. This water table is plenty high. And like I said, the swamp's right on the other end of it. So it's. Yeah, the <laughs> it's crazy been a challenge trying to get tile in it most of the time it, because just the water table is so high. And yep, the crazy thing is, I mean, California and all these places—they're so short on water. It's water, 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 and for us, we always have an excess. There's always water table there. Anyway, sorry. Get to your last question. Go ahead. Right. Well, I was just going to ask. Um, actually, another neighbor and another uh, farm I tiled. I I ran the man across his ground, um, and I was farming part of it. So I started. That's where I started. As soon as I could, I went to perforated. Um, well, now last year he built the house, and now he wants to obviously put a lawn around it, and there's going to be like a 50-foot stretch, stretch of that main line that's perforated that he wants to plant lawn over. Yep. Am I going to have issues with that someday, yep. or is there something I can do to prevent that from lawn from getting down on that tile line, or what should I do there? How deep is the line? Um, Three feet, I suppose. Yeah. Safe, 
yep. date number. Yep, you're probably going to have an issue at some point. Now, I don't know when that's going to be, but eventually, yes, it's gonna. there are going to be roots there, soil's going to catch there, and it's going to fill in and you're going to have a problem. So you got right. one of two ways to handle it. Either wait till you have a problem, or two, you could just replace it right now or sometime soon with non-perforated. You could also, you know, kind of swing it out. So you could just let that tile sit there, the old tile, and, you know, just run another line in that area that is non-perf. So right. you got options. Yeah, okay. This is a uh... I heard someone say they put copper wire on top. Does that work, or is that a myth, or? Well, you can as a locator. Sure. Yeah, we had to do that when we went under a state highway. Oh, Otherwise, okay. I just didn't know if they said something with a copper wire that the roots won't grow towards it. Or ooh, uh, that, that copper, you know, that, that I've never heard. That that I've never heard. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. If that was All true, right. then there would be a lot of people doing that. Right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I Like I said, I... Heard someone actually was someone said they went around uh, the field edge with it and then plowing copper wire a couple feet deep or whatever to keep like tree roots and stuff from growing towards the tile line. Hmm. So, I have never I heard that. Uh, I'll check into <laughs> no, that. But a I have bit. heard people driving around the edge of the field with their tile plow, putting in no tile, but just digging in a few oh, feet yep. deep to clip off any roots every few years, right. and that that works pretty well. Right. Yep. Yep. All right. All right. Awesome. Well, that'll work for now then. So. You bet. Thanks a lot, Jeremy, and good luck. All right. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Yeah, there's always a lot of always a lot of questions around drainage projects, and oftentimes if you're in an area where people say, well, it can't be done, that's only because somebody hasn't done it yet. But there is a way to figure it out. And as he mentioned, you know, it might involve a lift station or it might involve working with several neighbors in a row, but just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort and, of course, money <laughs> to make that all go. We're going to talk a little more about Sun Destiner, but we've got a bunch of questions coming in here in the Ag PhD mailbag we're going to hit next. Stay tuned. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct NextGen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment, great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct NextGen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. High yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. 
Start your crop off right with the Germinator closing wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. And we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time here. We got one from Justin, and he sent 119 pages of soil samples for you to look at, Brian. So hopefully you've got a t- gotten a chance to look through all those. He said, Yes, a little up, light reading. I picked up that. Well, here's the problem we ask for more detail. We say, You know what? You well, need soil samples on a smaller grid size or smaller zone size. If you really want to know, but, well, he just picked up this farm this year, tiled it over the past winter, first time working tiled ground, just wondering what our thoughts are on the samples. Okay. Well, first of all, when we want, yes, we want more detail, but that's one, more detail in a spot. We, I mean, I, I'm, we're not going to make 119 recommendations here on the show in our last nine minutes of today. I can give you some general ideas, but just understand that every grid should be treated separately within reason and fortunately a lot of these samples are relatively close so I can I feel like I can speak you know and give you the average and tell you okay well this is about what it looks like we have a lot of stuff we farm where it's high pH and low pH in the same field and I mean like in some cases when especially with new ground it's really high and it's really low in the same field well, you definitely have to treat those totally different. Anyway, okay, so with his, his pH is mostly good. He's got a lot in the sixes. There's a little bit that needs some lime that's down in the fives, but mostly pretty good. His CEC on average is about eight. So he's in kind of that six to 10 range. It's what we would call light soil. Uh, all right, so you start getting into the main nutrients. Phosphorus is the first one, and it's, it varies a lot. 30 pounds to 200 pounds. Now, I'm not talking parts per million. I'm talking pounds. So if you want to convert to parts per million, that would be 15 to 100 parts per million. Well, 100 parts per million, I feel pretty good. 15 parts per million, I don't feel good at all. So in some areas, you can spend some money, get that phosphorus out, and you're going to be in great shape uh, in the other areas. Okay, with phosphorus, there are a couple nutrients that we, a couple micronutrients we talk a lot about with ratios. Like zinc, we want roughly 10 to 1, you know, phosphorus 10 to 1 compared to zinc. Uh, compared to copper, we want phosphorus roughly, roughly 
30 to 1, something like that. So, for example, if I get it up to that 200 pounds of phosphorus, that means I need 20 pounds of zinc and 7 pounds of copper. Well, right now you're at like 3 or 5 pounds of zinc and you're at 3 pounds of copper. And I'm not saying you have to go all the way in one shot or anything like that, but I am saying... When we start talking 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc, that's a real thing. So I'd at least try to get my zinc up a little bit, and I'd try to get my copper up a little bit. Now, the good news with phosphorus, zinc, and copper is they're not going anywhere once you put them in your soil, even though it's light soil. Now, other nutrients can move somewhat, like potassium. You're way too low on all your ground. Uh, 200 pounds, that's not going to cut it for most of the crops you're going to try to raise. And less than 4% base saturation K on light soil, no. you got to get some more out there. But with potassium, it does move somewhat in the soil, especially in light ground when you have lots of rainfall. So like in our region of the country, it doesn't move hardly at all. But in yours, it does because of your situation. So I would just say get some K out there definitely to start with and then consider adding some in season. Now, you talk about the mobile nutrients, nitrate, sulfate, boron, light soil, what are we going to say? We're always going to say multiple applications. Got to start with some, got to keep adding some during the season, but you're low, I mean like super low on sulfur and boron, which is to be expected, okay? It's light soil and those those uh, are leachable nutrients. Last thing I'd throw out there, when you have light soil, you can tighten a light soil with more magnesium. So that'll help you hold more stuff, more water, more herb or more uh, yeah herbicide, more fertilizer, everything. So yeah, I try to raise my magnesium a little bit. It's not my top priority, but I'd like to raise it a little bit. So in other words, with potassium, you could buy potash or you could buy KMAG. What would I buy? I'd probably buy some KMAG or something like that. Just get some more magnesium out there. Get your soil levels at least above 12%. So those are my general comments. All right. Thanks for the questions there. Got this one in from David in the middle of Michigan. And this might be the first one that came from Michigan that didn't describe the hand, Brian, and where on the hand they are. But he just said in the middle. So I guess that's the palm. Uh, David says, all right, first of all, I listened to your show for a number of years, learning quite a bit. I am a truck driver. I am also now renting some or I bought a tractor and some hay equipment, and I'm sending you a couple of samples from a field that I'm thinking of renting for clover, timothy, grass mix. Shooting for three-plus tons per acre, read your fertilizer removal app, and trying to fertilize accordingly. Just curious what you think of those samples. Also, at the end, he said he drives truck and hauls inputs, and it sounds like he must be hauling fertilizer. He said just sweeping out his trailers, he's... He's really benefited his garden at home with copper, iron, boron, and zinc. And wow, yeah, the garden looks like it's got some fertility there, David. Right. No doubt the, about the that. The garden looks great. Uh, that soil sample, awesome. Just need some manganese. Here, let me just read these stats quick. Uh, 5% organic matter, 200 parts per million on phosphorus, 20 parts per million on zinc. His potassium levels, uh, 314, or sorry, 400 parts per million on potassium, 6.7% base saturation K, uh, and copper, 2.5 parts per million, and boron, 2.7 parts per million. So, Oh, and also uh, sulfur, 25 parts per million. Yeah, one thing about so, that, you may want a little more sulfur out there just for flavor yes. in some of the vegetables you might be raising, David, just yeah. something to think about. But anyway, in terms of this hay ground, yeah, I mean, everything looks 
really low compared to that garden ground. So we're totally with you. Put on a whole bunch of P and K. Absolutely. We often suggest you even consider multiple years if you're going to be seeding perennial crops. Put out multiple years worth of P and K and maybe zinc and copper as well to go along with that to kind of keep your ratios right on phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper, that kind of thing. So, yep, sounds like a good idea. Get that out there early, get that tilled in, and then, uh, yes, for the leachable nutrients, nitrate, sulfate, boron, probably have to put a little bit on each year. Well, the one thing that I noticed too, David, is just your pH level really varies. And I say you just pulled a couple of random samples out there. That may be something to keep an eye on, especially if you end up with alfalfa or a crop like that that maybe prefers to have that pH up a little bit. It looks like both of those would work for alfalfa, but I, you never know. There may be a crop that, that his, uh, doesn't like one or the other. His pH levels were 6.9 and 7.6. They weren't horrific or anything like that. 7.6 is, yeah, it's a little on the high side, but if he gets those nutrient levels, levels up, I think that'll correct itself. You get the K up, you get the phosphorus up, the sulfur up, the zinc, the copper, the boron, it was all low. So you get those nutrient levels up and I'll bet that pH will start to correct itself. All right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. And thanks for listening. Uh, this comes from Trent in East Central Iowa. He said, long story short, we were trying to put 100 pounds per acre of AMS across 80 acres to get our 24 pounds of sulfur. We had tractor problems. A few acres, the spinner wasn't running, and product fell in a 30-inch wide path behind the spinner. When we corrected it, we ended up only having enough sulfur to treat 60 acres. So my question is, if I got closer to 40 pounds of sulfur where that spreader was working, uh, how will this impact my upcoming crop, looking at crop removal and so forth? We've got a CEC in the 14 to 22-inch range, and we field cultivated at about 3.5 to 4 inches deep. Yeah, so he tried to spread it out afterwards, and I get that. And I would just say I and went And sulfur, he said their sulfur was non-existent in that field before they spread, so they yeah. they could stand to build quite a okay, bit. Okay, so, so here's my answer. First, I'm not concerned about getting too much fertilizer on even in that one strip I bet you'll be able to see that strip that it looks really good and then in the future you're going to go well boy now I should do that and everything well no let's not get too carried away but the point is this I'm much more worried about you not getting enough sulfur on than getting too much so I would go along and I would side dress if you don't have time before planting here I just be side dressing early with more sulfur and possibly even more nitrogen as well yeah, it's it happens all the time though that something goes wrong with the spread. Oh yeah, something goes yep. wrong with the spread. So. Yeah. So just for example, on our farm, uh, we had issues spreading zinc. Uh, I don't remember how long ago this was three, four, five years ago, something like that. And so we're trying to get our levels up to you know five to eight parts per million, and then we got to thirty parts per million in some areas. I don't love that, and we did find that it does impact yield negatively when you don't properly raise phosphorus. So to fix it, you'd have to raise your phosphorus levels, which I don't mind. We own the ground. The phosphorus isn't going anywhere. But when you do that, now you got to think, oh, wait a second. Now i got to fix the copper because the phosphorus and copper, there's also a ratio there. So there are other things that go along with it, but you absolutely can take care of those things. The great thing that happened here is it was with a leachable nutrient sulfur. So we're not worried about over-applying. Just make sure you continue to keep fertilizing with sulfur because your crops absolutely need it. They sure do. That sulfur is very, very important and often neglected. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday 
for more Ag PhD Radio.